0: Hey, Scott Walker here. Thanks for joining us on our podcast, You Can't Recall Courage. Boy, what a wild week. I mean, uh, uh, we've seen just about everything here. As I said on election night, I was uh, on the the, uh, election night coverage on, of all things, CNBC asked me. It was actually quite interesting uh, to be able to do that. But uh, I said all night, even while they were waiting to call certain areas, that I thought the first test... Uh, was the first three states in the southeast, Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina. I felt pretty confident that they were going to win that. In fact, I talked to Marco Rubio and Rick Scott uh, earlier that day and felt that the numbers, particularly uh, out of Miami-Dade, and they were right on the mark because, of course, Miami-Dade uh, helped us pick up uh, some big wins in the U.S. House of Representatives and uh, shrunk the margin. Uh, that uh, Hillary Clinton had won that area over Donald Trump on four years ago. So good news out of Florida. Things obviously tighten up in North Carolina and are really tight now in Georgia heading towards uh, a recount. But obviously that was the first wave of states the president had to carry. Then uh, early on in the night, there was some mistaken uh, hysteria i think about texas i talked to greg abbott and ted cruz there was no way that uh, that state was going to go that way although there are some interesting trends they need to be accountable for in the future Um, just as greg abbott kind of helped the ticket statewide uh, two years ago john cornyn ran a really good campaign Focusing not so much on the base, although they certainly didn't ignore that, but on independent swing voters, which I know firsthand from three election wins in a blue, slightly purple state like Wisconsin uh, on election day. That's the name of the game. You, you got to get to you turn your base out and then reach out to the swing voters and, and make the case. And oftentimes, a very different, not necessarily contradictory, but a different case than the one you're making uh, to base voters. Uh, and then I said, uh, you know, in addition to Texas, they had to win Ohio, which the president did. And I thought in that next wave, you had to keep the map intact, and that would be Arizona. Now, as the night progressed and the day since showed that the former Vice President Joe Biden having a lead in um, in the, the, uh, the Grand Canyon state. Uh, but after talking repeatedly to Doug Ducey, the governor there, uh, he felt that the numbers showed that the... Um, uh, the votes that were yet to be counted, and there was still a substantial number of votes yet to be counted, uh, would be breaking in a way that would help the president. And we saw uh, in, the, in the early waves of the counts uh, that the margin continued to get closer and closer and closer. And so, in a number of these key states, uh, we're going to have to watch closely because uh, uh, things uh, things can certainly happen. And And I know there's been a lot of talk about where the votes are coming from and what they might be, but but assume for a minute that somehow the margin gets to the point where the president can carry uh, the state of Arizona. Well, then I said it ultimately in my mind it would boil down to the what I call the big 10 states, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. The challenge in each of those states is that the many of the ballots that had yet to be counted uh, were mail-in or early voting uh, ballots. And of course, the challenge with that is um, those uh, well, one historically the question is where do they come from? If they come from places like Milwaukee, uh, Detroit, or Philadelphia, uh, then they're uh, then they're ultimately votes that uh, obviously are, are going to be Democrat, and what we've historically seen in the past overwhelmingly so by by really big margins in some parts of the city of Milwaukee for example the margins in state legislative races are anywhere from 70 30 to 90 10 in favor of the democrat and so i think that was further compounded by the fact that the early voting and i thought all along when you when you look at the exit polling if you believe any of the polling and that was one of the big losers on Tuesday was polling i think abc washington post poll had uh, the president down by something close to 17 points uh, the difference right now in Wisconsin is about 0.6, so just over a half of 1%. So the pollsters, yet again, were wildly off base and makes you wonder uh, what, if any, future the, the business, the industry of polling has, at least when it comes to political races. Uh, but but you looked at the distinction, too, uh, was the fact that the not only are areas like Milwaukee, Detroit, and Philadelphia, and the respective states of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania likely to be heavily Democrat, uh, I think there's a contrast between those people who voted earlier by absentee versus those who voted on Election Day. And the exit polls showed the biggest contrast was between people who were voting their number one issue was concerns over coronavirus versus people voting their number one concern was over the economy. I got to believe that's the fundamental difference between people who voted for Biden and voted for Trump. Uh, And overwhelmingly, people voted early, were people concerned about coronavirus, not wanting to go out. Um, Even if they weren't concerned about going out, they just were told by the Biden camp and everybody else, you got to vote early, you got to vote early, you got to vote early. I know even though I encourage some folks... Uh, to vote uh, earlier by absentee, for example, in Wisconsin. Uh, Tonette and I did that. Uh, My mother in particular had to do that because I haven't had her go go out to anywhere uh, public, uh, to stores, to church, anywhere else since uh, the first week of March, uh, just because of her age and having survived breast cancer and so forth. Um, but I look at, uh, at folks like her, um, try and encourage that. But but clearly, in the mindset of people who are concerned about coronavirus, uh, they the, so those states where they were still counting early votes, unfortunately, it just was likely that the margins were going to be overwhelmingly for Biden. Now, Doug Ducey told me about some of the areas that it were, were still pending that were election day votes. So that's why the margin was more like close to sixty forty for the president um, because it depends on where the votes come from and it depends on whether or not they're early votes or whether the votes uh, cast on the day of the election. And so uh, we saw the margins getting closer and closer and closer. In the case of Wisconsin, ultimately there was a lead now of about 21,000 votes uh, for former Vice President Joe Biden. We saw similar things happening in Michigan and happening as we speak in uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, particularly because of votes coming in from Philadelphia and the surrounding area. Um, what is particularly disturbing to me in Detroit and Philadelphia is these reports that we see of, of well, we literally have seen them putting up plywood or, or other things to block views into the areas where they're counting the votes. I, I would argue, no matter what the outcome is, that... Uh, to have a legitimate election, you need to have absolute transparency. And so the media should be allowed in, the uh, The uh, representatives from the parties and from the campaigns beyond just the traditional poll workers should be allowed to observe this. We have to have what we saw 20 years ago in Florida was absolute transparency so people can see what's going on. And oh, by the way, Al Gore claiming uh, you know are people claiming that Al Gore is magnanimous no he wasn 't he he twenty years ago go back and look at his attorney 's book about this very subject. They were pushing to not count votes in areas where they thought they were not going to pick up votes and to only count votes in areas where they thought it would help them. Uh, it took more than a month I, I remember back coming back in uh, December, I was on a trip to uh, Santa Fe and coming back when it finally was all resolved. But, but don't let anybody kid you into uh, believing that El that, uh, Gore Democrats were somehow magnanimous back then they weren't. Um, I believe the president and his team is right uh, to be looking at how close these states are. Again, Wisconsin, by law, um, if you're 1% or less of the difference between the candidates, uh, there's a legal basis for uh, asking for a recount. You see similar margins in other states. Uh, I think they should be making sure that every vote that was legally cast must be counted. And only those votes that were legally cast uh, must be counted. And so I would encourage them to continue to push for this going forward. It is too close to call. obviously the last, uh, well not the last few days, the last few hours, had made things a bit more discouraging uh, in the presidential election. But I want to talk some more about the next steps there. And then uh, a couple little highlights uh, from Tuesday's election that I think were, are worth talking about as well. I'm Scott Walker. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Scott Walker. Thanks again for joining us on our podcast, You Can't Recall Courage. As I mentioned, the election is incredibly close. And so in Wisconsin, you're talking about uh, roughly 0.6%. The votes, so just over half of one percent uh, that 's uh, fewer than than about twenty one thousand votes out of the millions that were cast in the state of Wisconsin. You see similar margins elsewhere in Wisconsin. The law is clear you can only ask for a recount uh, and it has to be the candidate who lost doesn 't have to be the closest one four years ago it was Jill Stein who asks for that, not Hillary Clinton. But an egregious candidate can request one if the difference is one under 1%, 1% or under. Um, and so the, the law is pretty clear. Uh, you can request a recount of the difference between uh, the candidate leading and the other candidates, not more than 1% of the total vote for office. It's got to be filed uh, no later than the third business day after the State Elections Commission receives the last statement from a county board of canvassers. So I've said all along the Trump campaign should prepare for a recount, but wait for the canvas. Uh, The reason for that is, so the process, uh, just to be clear, is different in every state. County officials meet to canvass local election results, uh, returns I should say, not results but returns, no later than the Tuesday after the election. So it has to be done by this coming Tuesday. Then the results have to be transmitted to the state's election commission, no later than 14 days after the election. Then the state's elections commission actually conducts their canvass and they certify the results on December 1st. Uh, And the state canvass must conclude within 10 days of being commenced. So the margin between Joe Biden and Donald Trump is less than 1 percent. So, as I've said, requesting a recount is an absolutely legitimate option for the Trump campaign to consider uh, in light of the fact that you've got a margin of about 21,000 votes out of the millions cast. Now, to put this in perspective, so as not to build up uh, false hopes, Uh, During the past decade, we've had in Wisconsin two statewide recounts. Uh, One was, as I mentioned, four years ago. Um, In that instance, out of the millions of votes cast by a margin very similar to what it is now, just in reverse between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, President Trump, after the recount, picked up 131 votes. Nine years ago, when there was a statewide election for the Wisconsin Supreme Court, there was a recount in that race, uh, and ultimately there was a swing of about 300 votes. Now, that's why I've said, and some took this out of context, but I said, in light of those uh, typically, uh, those examples who were in recent history, two statewide recounts picked up hundreds but not thousands of votes. That means that 21,000 is a pretty high hurdle. Having said that, and this is the part that many in the media didn't listen to the qualifier, having said that, the canvas process itself might actually reveal some problems in the reporting of the vote, some errors, and we've already seen that in some of the stories out about what happened in Michigan, for example, where the numbers were slightly off uh because of an error in how um, not in how the votes were were cast but in how Elections officials reported them. So in that same race in 2011 for the state Supreme Court on election night, the challenger, a a radical liberal and activist, uh, was the winner uh, by just over 200 votes. But during the canvas process, not the recount, but the canvas process I talked about in Wisconsin state law, what they found was that there were thousands and thousands of votes from the city of Brookfield which happened to be in Waukesha County, which is a county that's historically has been uh, fairly Republican. So these thousands of votes in the city of Brookfield were, were cast by voters, but they were never submitted to the overall tabulation by the Waukesha County clerk. Once they noticed that, once they figured it out through the canvas process, once those votes were added, the outcome dramatically changed from the challenger being ahead by a couple hundred votes uh, to uh, – the incumbent, who was a conservative, a purist and originalist uh, justice on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, ended up winning by thousands of votes. So the reason I tell you that is 21,000 is a pretty high hurdle. On the flip side, there's experience from the last decade uh, where there's the possibility. I'm not saying I've got any uh, evidence of of, uh, errors of that magnitude, but we do know four of eight No, excuse me, nine years ago, I guess it was now, uh, in a statewide uh, election for the state Supreme Court, there was indeed uh, uh, a point which they found 14,000 plus uh, votes that hadn't been added to the tabulation. So you'd have to have more than 21,000 because even if every one of those went for uh, for Trump, you're just over that margin. So you have to have... Uh, You'd have to have enough to make up even if it's a 60-40, even a 70-30 split. You have to have enough uh, to not only make the 21,000, but for account for votes uh, that in that mix would be picked up for Biden-Harris ticket as well. But It could happen, and and that's why my argument talking with the vice president the other day, with Jared Kushner and others involved with the campaign, is they'd be prepared for a recount in the state of Wisconsin, which they currently are legally entitled to do, uh, but they'll look more closely at what happens throughout the canvas. So hold out a little bit of hope. Uh, Again, I'm still hopeful that things— uh, tighten up in the right direction in Arizona, uh, that in a recount goes the right way in Georgia, and that somehow uh, we find a way to prevail, which is what I'd always thought out of the big ten states would be most likely would be Pennsylvania. Uh, in all this, we still hold out hopes for the future, but I think one of the big winners that didn't get covered uh, that didn't get covered on uh, on Tuesday was the fact. Uh, that uh, Kevin McCarthy and his team did much better than expected. In fact, in my state, all the Republicans running for Congress won by big margins. And in fact, uh, Ron Kine, who's been there for nearly a quarter of a century, almost lost. Uh, it was a, a, just a very slim margin between his challenger, a first-time candidate, and across the country. Instead of losing the 5 to 15 votes uh, in the House that uh, many predicted, Republicans actually gained seats. I think that's part of the reason why you saw such pushback, uh, uh, at least reportedly, to Nancy Pelosi uh, by House Democrats who felt like socialism, defund the police, and all those other things really, really hurt them in the re-election efforts. So for all this talk of a massive blue wave, didn't happen. And one of the other big losers was Eric Holder, someone who had been pushing to take over uh, legislative bodies across the country at the state legislative level, uh, to try and control redistricting, which will determine those all-important House districts for the next decade, Republicans didn't lose a seat. Excuse <clears> me, <throat> not not a seat, but didn't lose a majority uh, in any state legislative body across the country. And they actually picked up some uh, in uh, New Hampshire and in Alaska. So all in all, in in what is otherwise a very frustrating time when we look at the presidential election and i still again hold out hopes and lift up prayers uh that these last remaining states might come around in a way that that uh, will s- sustain the victory for uh president donald trump and vice president mike pence but but regardless um huge 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 victory when it comes to keeping republican majorities uh in state legislative bodies all across the country in doing much better than expected in the House. And if things ultimately go right, and I believe they will, although a lot of time and attention is going to have to be focused on Georgia, I believe we uphold the the United States Senate and are able to block things, even if, God forbid, uh, Joe Biden sneaks out with a win here. So a lot more to talk about. I'll share some more thoughts come this next week. But thanks again for joining us on this podcast and looking ahead. Now more than ever, keep fighting for freedom.